Welcome to Positive Productivity, Episode 372. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I am so happy to have you here today. I'm also thrilled to have our guest, Jim Padilla. Jim is a sales leader and visionary from Gain the Edge, and I've had the pleasure of meeting Jim in person and working with him on a recent project, so I can't wait. Well, first, let me say welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Looking forward to it. Me too. You know your story better than anybody else, so I would love if you would share a bit of your background and tell the listeners how you got to where you are today. Uh, Okay, so... Basically, I um, yeah, it's important to understand the background just because it's relevant to what I do now. Absolutely. And you know, I I grew up in a a pretty challenged environment as a kid. I was you know born to a, a teenage mother who had very little opportunity to be successful in life at that time, and the only thing she knew how to respond to the life that was you know put her in this position was to respond with fear and anger. And so I, I grew up getting beat and abused by a lot of things. I mean, whatever. I got hit by baseball mats, broomsticks, plate over the head, closed fists, you name it. Stuff that would put a parent in jail today. And so as you can imagine, you, you get to a place where as a little kid, as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old kid, you wonder what's wrong with you. This had to be my fault for this to be happening. And so I was always trying to find ways, even as a little kid, to manipulate my environment to make my mom feel safe so that she wouldn't want to hurt me because that's kind of what I thought was happening. I didn't realize this was like her problem. So uh, I'm in foster care at 13 on the streets pretty much at 16 and in jail at 19. And so for the most part, the first 20 years plus of my life, I spent every waking moment thinking of how to master the environment so that the people around me would want to be around me and feel safe enough around me to trust me. That was my defense mechanism. That's the only way I knew how to stay alive. Mm -mm. And, you know, you fast forward through 20 years of craziness in the entrepreneur world and all kinds of different jobs and opportunities as it was cultivating this path that I'm on now. And now I, you know, make a lot of money teaching people, other entrepreneurs, how to sell and master the sales conversation through the art of influencing others around them to feel safe enough to trust them and want to buy from them. Because that is such a powerful part of the sales equation. Obviously, you need a skill set. But, you know, the skill set without the mindset and the beingness is irrelevant. And the key to what we teach in sales is that it's not about what you're being. It's about, or excuse me, it's not about what you're saying. It's about who you're being while you're saying it. That is the most important part. And so we're always focusing on your state of being and your personal state because most people don't, they're not interested in products and stuff and information. They need to know that you got them. They need to know, they need to feel supreme confidence when they speak to you to know that you have what they need. More importantly, that you can help them get where they're going. And, you know, it's like when you ever get off the phone with somebody and you're like, you know, I, I love what they were talking about and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I just didn't really like them. I just yes, don't know. I've had that. 
yeah, we all have. And that's what that is. We're too busy trying to, to say the right things, do the right things instead of just be the right person. Wow. Yes. That's why I'm over the course of the positive productivity journey, I've gotten over my fear of bloopers. And that's why there's more being left in because it's not about being perfect. I mean, Jim, you heard it at the event we were just at together several times. Positive productivity is not about perfection. Right. Oh, I love that. And I wish more people were transparent and authentic and really trying to connect. And I know you're a powerhouse in sales training. So many people, not the ones that you're working with, as far as I know, I won't name any names, <laughs> but they're so busy pushing, like trying to push the sale rather than trying to connect. Yes. It, that's what feels so dirty to me sometimes. Like I've had great conversations and then it leads into just feeling really yucky by the end. And I was so excited, but then it was like the switch, the switch flipped. Yeah, it doesn't feel good. I want to jump back, though, if you don't mind. Okay. My husband was raised in challenging circumstances, to say the least. I've never really gotten that much into it on the podcast. I mean, at 15, 16, he was actually selling pot for his grandfather. Mm. He never wound up in jail, but I mean, he was switched. He was sent to the backyard to get branches that he would be hit by. He was ordered to pick lint out of rugs for hours until his fingers bled. But he managed, he should have been in jail, I have to say, like based upon the stories that I have heard. He could have easily gone to jail as a child, but he turned it around, as have you. So how were you able to do it? You know, there's a lot of different things. I wish I could say I I, like had the magic formula on the pill. The thing that I realized is, there were times, there were a few dark times where I thought, you know, I, this is way too much work and I'd just be better off not being here. And anytime I got to a place where I even considered seriously, you know, taking my life or just trying to go take, you know, an, an easier way out, it was really more of a spiritual engagement. You know, I, I didn't find God in my life until I was 27. But when I look back, God had his hands on me all the time, as he does all of us. The difference is most yeah. of us don't take the time to recognize it. And usually I, would, I was always searching for like an excuse. I was like, okay, I could take my life right now, mm-hmm. but please talk me out of it. Because I didn't really want to. Right. I just didn't want to deal with the nonsense that I was in. And so those moments were usually short-lived and the thing that I've always had is the ability to focus really well on what's on right in front of me. And so if there was a big problem right in front of me that I need to solve, whether it was I didn't have any money or I needed to figure out how to deal with this drug situation, because I, you know, I was dealing a lot at the time, which what led to jail at 19. And it was always a problem to solve. So I just poured myself into the problems that I needed to solve. Now, they weren't always the right problems which is why I wasn't doing all the right things, but it gave me purpose, even if that purpose was just to take care of the guys who were selling for me when I was a dealer. So the fact that I always had something to focus on and give myself purpose is really what kept me moving to the next step. Yeah. So that's what I would really suggest to anybody who's in struggle is just, you know, don't focus on the problem, focus on what's on the other side of the problem. I did learn that at a pretty young age. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, 
when you're in the middle of it, it is horrible and it can feel painful and just everything, you know, sad, you know, that's when you want to end it. And you have to understand that what's on the other side is always going to be something that's going to lead you to the next step. And so the worst thing to do is when you're in the middle of a, of a crap storm is turn around and run backwards because eventually you're going to have to go right back through it again. So if you're in it, just get through it and focus on what you need to do and get to the other side. Don't focus on the pain that you're feeling. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I was raised Catholic, and I did not find God until I was 30, 31, somewhere in there. So similar. But I didn't really recognize what you just said about pushing through until, to be totally honest, just the last couple of years. And it's still something I need to be reminded on constantly. The harder I work at pushing through rather than focusing on the problems. So focusing on the good and focusing on the solution rather than focusing on what is going on right now, what the problem is. Right. It never ceases to amaze me the huge opportunities and breakthroughs that come out. But those breakthroughs wouldn't come if I hid in bed, which is I wanted to do so many days, so many days. I just wanted to hide in bed and pray that, not literally pray, but just hope that those problems wouldn't be there when I got back out of bed. But they would have been right there. Right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because something that, that I see a lot, especially in today's culture, I mean, we've gone through such great lengths to make things as easy and pain-free as possible for our children and for, our, you know, the next generation to come. And I think that's the most, the greatest disservice we could possibly have do because you don't grow in easy times, mm. right? You have to be able to overcome challenge so you can gain the skill set, you know, that in order to make it there. It's like, you know, having no score in a t-ball game to me is absurd, you know? It's like, yes, you can teach them the power of positive and, and teamwork and all that, but you also have to teach them that if there's a scoreboard, one person is going to come out ahead of the other. That's how life is. <laughs> so you have to start teaching them that stuff. And when... You know, I would prefer to have not had a bunch of pain in my life if I could choose it. I started learning that I could handle anything, that it, could, it wasn't going to kill me. It was only going to, you know, cause me some discomfort and I could survive it. So then I stopped worrying about the pain that was coming and just really focused on what was, what was going to be on the other side of it because I realized that it didn't kill me. And I went through some very trying stuff. So, you know, if it didn't kill me, then I didn't have to worry about it. I could yeah. just focus on what was going on. How do you feel about the expression, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? <laughs> a little uh, cliche-ish, but yeah, I mean, I think it's true. I think, you know, if it, it, it's, it's not necessarily that it doesn't make you stronger unless you embrace it and choose it to. Because there's a lot of things that can be painful for you that you can just pile on top of you, especially if you become a victim of it and then surrender to it. It can destroy you. So that's not totally true. <laughs> yeah. But understanding that when there is a pain, it's you know, we're supposed to pay attention to it. Right. I got, I got a friend who owns a, a mechanic shop and he was telling me a story about somebody who brought in their car because their um, warning light, the idiot light burned out. And he said, that's a problem. He said, that should last. <laughs> he said, the, your idiot light should never burn out because the moment it comes on, you're supposed to go do something about it. And I thought, what a powerful analogy for life, right? When we start embracing pain, most of us just keep enduring it. And then <laughs> instead of going, oh, there's pain here, that means there's something I'm supposed to look at, 
what should I be doing about it? And instead we deny it or ignore it or pretend it's not there or make all kinds of crazy stories in our mind so that we don't have to deal with the pain or the source of it. You just inspired a future solo episode. When the idiot light burns out, stay tuned, listeners. (laughs) It will be coming up. (laughs) I have a sixth grader who, in my town, all I think there's four to six, I lost count, elementary schools that all join together in a sixth grade school. And then they move up to the junior high together next year. And we're wrapping up a school year right now. And he was telling me that he doesn't want to move on because he loves where he's at right now. So I was having to express that there's still, you know, two thirds to a half of the kids in his school right now that he's never even met yet. He's like, I know, but I I like the kids that I'm with right now. So I was like, well, do you know what comes out of staying in your comfort zone? And we've been watching The Greatest Showman over and over. It's my favorite movie right now. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. He says, yes, mom, I've heard it over and over again. He says something about staying in the sin of staying in your comfort zone. Like it's, it works against any progress. I'm going to have to put it in the show notes, listeners. I just butchered it completely. (laughs) So we were having this whole conversation last night, you know, that getting out of your comfort zone. And I don't remember, see, too many thoughts chronic idea disorder. I just completely lost where I was trying to go with this. I want to jump back to what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I mean, if heroin overdose doesn't kill you, that doesn't mean you're going to get stronger. Exactly. But there are so many other struggles that totally make you stronger. One other thing that I was thinking about with my son is during the course of our entrepreneurial journey, or maybe I should say mine, because I'm really, I mean, even though my husband is my unspoken partner in everything, you know, he's not necessarily in the business. We've gone from living in rent stabilized income based apartments to being in our own house. We've gone from having our utilities shut off to, you know, being caught up and actually ahead with our bills. But one of the things that my older kids at least have seen is that being Struggling financially doesn't mean that we're any less of a person. And they've learned the value of money and that generic can be just as good as anything else, as the the name brands. So I love how you brought that up before, you know, handing our kids everything in the T-ball example. You're so right. Someone always does come out ahead. It doesn't mean that it's never going to be the underdog. Right. Yeah. You know, and it also, it doesn't define you. No, it doesn't. The scoreboard is simply a reflection of your current state. That's mm. it. It's not your value proposition as a human. It doesn't mean you're great because you won. It doesn't mean you suck because you lost. It means in this moment, that person came out ahead. That's all it means. And so you just have, now you have opportunities for reflection and feedback. Absolutely. There was a tweetable right there. <laughs> so... I really encourage, I mean, for kids, for clients, for whatever, I mean, there's such a big push right now. I hear so much people talk about, you know, it doesn't have to be a struggle. You know, people like the hustle and the grind of the business and it can be ease at all times, ease and grace and flow. I I mean, it can once you've learned a bunch of things, but you can't grow from here to build some awesome, you know, successful business 
you know, an empire, whatever you're trying to build, whether it's a six figure, seven figure, you know, you have to learn some things first. Then once you learn them, then things can get easy, but you can't just go through grace and ease and never experience struggle and pain and expect you to be the fullest version of yourself. Oh, absolutely. Because that's how you become the fullest version of yourself is by trying things that you don't know, failing at them and learning from mistake, right? So it's like one of the things that Cindy and I, who she, you know, we move at scale, we move at speed, we're high capacity, we move. One of the biggest differences between us and most other entrepreneurs is that we make more mistakes in a month than most people are willing to make in a year. And we don't care. We're okay. We just move. And it's like whatever we make, that mistake was just immediate feedback. It was opportunity for, to gain some wisdom and apply it and move forward. And because we're willing to do that, we've also learned that those mistakes don't kill you. I have to share with you that after you and I chatted a couple of weeks ago, and that was off, you know, it wasn't recorded listeners, but Jim had brought up, you know, how a lot, uh, I think this is how it came out. You know, there's big entrepreneurs who are, you know, making a lot on their launches and on their products that they're selling, and they don't get wrapped up in the mistakes that happen. They just keep on pushing forward. But that's part of the reason would you say it's a big reason why they're able to succeed like they are just like you and Cindy, you're not getting totally enraptured by the mistakes and the setbacks of the day, but you're pushing forward and moving on to what's next. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when, you know, with our done for you services, we typically work with seven figure and bigger clients. And the only reason for that is Well, volume helps, but the main reason that we do this is because by the time you've reached seven figures, you probably have a team to support you. You've probably been through a certain level of personal growth that little things don't freak you out and you don't operate in this crazy urgency overreactive mode. If you overreact to business, you're going to die. You're going to freak out and, and explode. And yeah, it's easier to come in and say, okay, that didn't work. What do we do next? Or this didn't go the way we wanted to. What do we need to change? How do we pivot? How do we, it's like there's so much, you can see things so much more clearly and make more effective decisions in that moment. You know, there's been plenty of things that don't go well. I would say we actually have more things that don't go well than do. It's just the things that go well, go really well. Mm-hmm. So they go awesome. You know, and for every, you know, we've worked with a ton of, you know, name clients that most of you people here probably would know with launches and live events and for all the million dollar and five million dollar launches you hear about, there's a dozen that busted that you never heard about. Yeah, and a dozen of those were <laughs> probably mine. <laughs> I mean, no joke, because what I found that I was doing was I wasn't getting out there and connecting. This is before the podcast. You know, I was staying off the radar because my life wasn't perfect and I didn't think I could share what wasn't going perfect, right? I didn't realize positive productivity is not about perfection. So I was hiding myself. I would come out of hiding once every three to six months when I would have a new idea hit me and I decided I needed to launch it right away. Then it would bust and I would decide, okay, well, that's not a good product. I need to move on. But that's not where these people have been. The ones that have the seven and eight figure launches. Maybe it doesn't go so well the first time, but they don't give up on it. They don't scrap it. Correct. They go at it again. They continue to build the rapport. They continue to build their tribe. They 
just continue, period. And they don't just drop a product because it didn't work the first time. It's not that it didn't work, but it didn't go as they expected it to. Yeah. And that's a must. That's part of the DNA of anybody who's successful in life. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, you can define success any way you want to, but somebody who is, you know, at the higher end of the food chain of whatever your given, you know, mission is, you've learned the power of letting it go. Just, okay, I here's what went wrong. Let's figure it out. And let's, what do we need to tweak? You don't throw out the, the whole project. You just need to adjust something in the messaging or something in the deliverable or something in, you know, where you're dropping your line. Maybe you're just fishing in the wrong pond. There's a lot of things that can be done besides scrapping the project and writing it off as a bad idea. And a matter of fact, you know, I have a lot of contrarian takes in the sales game and in the business world. But one of them is I don't believe that there's a such thing as a bad idea. I think there's only bad timing, bad execution, and bad planning. That's it. Ooh. Right. I don't care if you want to sell snowmobiles in Las Vegas in the summertime. As long as you know exactly who you're serving, how, and what's the main benefit going to be, and how we're going to bring it to market, let's go. Right. So that was bad timing, bad execution, and bad planning. Maybe Correct. not in that order. Correct. Wow. Yeah. I can totally see that. And I was hitting all three (laughs) multiple times. And then I was just deciding, okay, this is done. But I have to say, I was also chasing income. Do you see that as a problem with your clients? Yes. Yet, when they're chasing income rather than really trying to make an impact on the people that they are working so hard to serve. Yes. Patrick Dominguez, who is Bill Barron's a little more silent partner in business, brilliant human being, one of the smartest people I've ever worked with and friend. He's famously said several times, whenever you chase the money, the money's the last thing you're going to find. You can't do something for the sole purpose of revenue. Revenue needs to be the byproduct. And if you are seeking purpose, if you are seeking impact, if you are seeking reach, you're seeking to do for the benefit of the person on the other side of it, the income will take care of itself. And I used to think that was such garbage because most of the time, the only people you hear saying that are people who have money. Uh-huh. Me too. Well, it's easy for you to say, you've got a million dollars in the bank. What the hell are you talking about? But I have lived it. And I tell people that all the time. People say it to me. Well, sure, you guys make millions, you know, whatever. Yeah, but I didn't start making that money until I took that approach. I promise you. Once we realized that the money came on the backside of purpose, life changed. Now I'm just all about helping people achieve their purpose, helping people step into the greatest version of themselves. And one of the greatest gifts that I was ever given was this crazy childhood and upbringing that I had because it taught me that everything is overcomable. So the best thing you can do is have me as an ally in your side because if you start trying to say, oh, that won't work, that won't work, I can't do that, I will never, ever buy that excuse from you, Mm. right? Because I'm here to help you see through that and get to the other side of it. And especially with our sales training clients, you know, with, with our outsource stuff, it's a different ballgame. When we work with sales training, we're usually working with people who are up and coming, like trying to get that first six figures or maybe cracking the next level. And it's a lot more individual strategy work. How do you master the art of the sales conversation? And, you know, for me, it's all about truth telling. And we help people to stand in the truth. The truth, not their truth, because their truth, I can't stand that terminology, right? Their truth means it's subjective, which means there really is no truth. But if you can stand in front of somebody and be just nothing more than a mirror to reflect 
the exact truth. This is what's going on in your world. I'm the expert and I'm seeing that what you're telling me, this is your situation. If you don't solve it soon, there's the dead end you're falling towards or there's the, the cliff you're going to go over. And it's up to you what you're going to do about it now. It's no different, different than if you stood in front of a bathroom mirror and you, the, if you got green stuff in your teeth and your hair's messed up and your flies open, the mirror is not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to tell you exactly what's going on. It's going to say, hey, your hair is messed up, your teeth look funky, and your flies down. But now you have to choose what you're going to do about it. Right? And to me, that's all the sales conversation is. Wow. It's you being the advocate and being the reflection of everything that's happening to them. And our biggest problem is we want to be liked. We don't want to feel pushy. We don't want to feel all this craziness. Instead, so then we start serving ourselves and our own fears mm-hmm. instead of serving that person. And to serve that person means I don't care how uncomfortable it feels for you. You have to tell them the truth. Jim, I already shared a little bit in this episode, and listeners, you may have heard this in previous episodes, but in July of 2015, I was chasing income. I would say up until July of 2015. And no, 16, sorry, July of 2016. For three plus years in my business, I had been chasing income. And every single month, we were facing disconnect notices. We didn't know how we were going to buy food for our family. I mean, I got back to work immediately after my three youngest because we were literally on zero going to the food pantries. And that was so painful. And then in mid-July of 2016, I was suicidal, laying in bed, just wondering, you know, when is this going to end? And I was praying, you know, please help me not feel these thoughts about wanting to kill myself because I love my husband. I love my family. I can't do this to my family by leaving them. And I had an amazing experience. I'll just leave it at that. I'll put a link, an article about it in the show notes. But within literally a day, I was shown through um, new mentors that were introduced to me from conversations. And those conversations were me being totally transparent about how I was feeling. I was shown how income was not the priority. It needed to be impact. And by the end of that month, my income quadrupled. And I know listeners, you might be like, what? You know, and even like what Jim was mentioning earlier, I was doing the same thing. I was looking at the seven to eight to nine figure, you know, business owners thinking, yeah, it's really easy. When you have lots of money, it's really easy to say you want to focus on impact rather than income. But we went from me being the sole breadwinner making 2000 a month with a family of seven, you do the math, you figure out how that doesn't work, <laughs> to it quadrupled. And I'm in Ohio, I'm not in California, you know, so 8000 in a month, well, 8000 a month, I think anywhere is... It's a good living. Yeah. It's respectable. It gets you where you need to, high above the median. Yeah. And it gets you a little bit more, more choice. Yeah. But that was huge. And I was like, okay maybe I'm onto something. And then it continued. And I'm not saying that it stayed up there. I'm not saying that it hasn't gone above. You know, I've definitely had the months where it's not been there. And I'm not saying, I mean, we've had disconnect notices since then. I'm going to be totally honest. We've had those points of struggle. But those points of struggle have come when I've slipped off the impact path. And I've been chasing income again. And when I find my way back, it all turns around again right away. Yeah. 
you know, and the other thing, just because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are in a similar situation, you know, maybe they had that first $8,000 month or six or, or hit that 10,000 figure one time and they haven't been able to figure out how to get there. It's important. Those milestones matter only because of proof of concept. Now you, you've shown yourself, I know how to do this. Now you just have to, you know, get back to the basics of what got you there and shave everything else off of your table. You know, what we tell clients all the time in our sales training is until you have a full roster of clients, you have one job that is finding clients. Stop building your logos and your websites and everything else. Get out and, you know, do everything you can to get in front of clients and fill up your calendar with strategy sessions. I don't care what your conversion rate is, 10%, 90%. Bottom line is you have to have conversations. You Just by simple fact of having high quantities of conversations, you will automatically get better, even just because you're just going to learn the hard way, even if you weren't working with a mentor. But you can't get better if you're having one conversation a week or three a month or something crazy. Get in front of as many people as you can, have as many powerful conversations as you can, and take action. And watch the growth happen, but figure out the things you did to be successful and just replicate it. And you'll find out it's usually nothing to do with adding more. It's always to do with removing more. Just get simple. Oh, I love how you brought that up. Like the logo and the website. I had a conversation with somebody last week who's been having more conversations with her web developer than she has with the market that she was trying to serve. And I, I asked her, I said, what's your sales funnel? She says, I don't even know what that means. I said, how are you even beginning this conversation? What are, and it's somebody who's about to get out there and start guesting on podcasts. I said, what are you going to offer people when you go on to podcasts? You know, where are you taking them? She's like, I don't know. And I just shook my head. I said, well, how are you building your list? What do you mean building my list? Your email list. How are you going to market to people who need you in the future? I didn't know I could do that. Right. And I said, okay, stop. <laughs> Just stop. I mean, when you don't know, we have to back it up. I told her, what is your end product that you're trying to get to? What's the highest level you're trying to serve at? And then back it out to the beginning. And over 46 minutes, and I know that because it was timed, the whole thing was developed and there was so much clarity in how this person can help the world, or at least her particular demographic. Oh, I just gave it away to her. <laughs> but there was so much clarity, and she knows how she's going to impact people now. But she wasn't getting to that because she was more focused on her logo and her company name and her website up until then, and how yeah. the next dollar was going to come in. What are some of the biggest other challenges that you see entrepreneurs have that is keeping them from being successful in sales? Really, one of the big challenges is focusing on being liked. You know, I can't tell you how many times that I get on a call with a client, even sometimes someone on our team, and they're like, yeah, that was the best call ever. We're going to be BFFs. You know, we had such connection, and they didn't buy, and they could, when they follow up with them, crickets, voicemail, they wrote them off, right? Because we fool ourselves into believing the importance of that piece. You need to suspend being liked, right? Think about as a parent, is your job to get your kids to like you or is your job to make sure that they grow up safe, successful, 
faith-filled, you know, on purpose, you know, and I tell our kids that all the time, right? I'm here to be your friend and make sure you're happy at the bottom of that list. Your happiness is not my concern. Your safety, your success, your progress, your growth, all of that is, right? And it's the same thing with the clients. I'm not here. I don't care if you like me. I care if you respect what I'm sharing with you and that if you feel more empowered after we talk because of the truth that I put in front of you. That comes from you being crystal clear with who you serve, what you do, and how you can help get there and not straying from that. You have to know your purpose. You have to know what you do for people. You have to be crystal clear on what you can do for them and who you should be serving. Right, this stuff is vital. You need to do that. That's like one-on-one before you get going. That stuff will kill you in the sales conversation. The other thing that we we, you know, we touched on earlier is being focused on. You, you can't show up with commission breath. You have to, and I, and I realize it's a difficult task. Even if you have no money in the bank, you have to show up only for the purpose of that person being served. And that requires a process, right? So you need to figure out what is your process. We have, we teach people a pre-call process. Our calls start 15 minutes before the call and they end 15 minutes after the call because we have a pre-call process and a post-call process for every call. And because I literally show up to every single call that I'm on, believing fully that I am about to potentially change your life. And I take it that seriously. Now, does every call go like that? Of course not, but I'm prepared for it. And you have to be, you have to know that that's the goal. If you are 100% focused, getting yourself present and focused on the outcome of the other person, you'd be amazed at how much they'll buy into what you're doing. But when you show up, you know, it's, it's easy to say it and get it lip service, but you have to get to that place mentally and spiritually. And I hate to turn this into a woo-woo conversation, but it's real. I and mean, you have to be in that place where you're totally okay if this person doesn't buy from you because you're not here for that. Mm. Yeah. And that's taken a huge amount of time for me too. I used to get so bummed if somebody didn't buy from me. I lost a client last week and it was because I hadn't responded over a weekend to a Skype. They weren't mid-launch. You know, it wasn't anything like that. But I see another big obstacle for entrepreneurs falling into the being at the beck and call of huh. of their clients all the time. Yes. And I'm not saying, I mean, you and I just work together on a on a launch. During those crazy busy don't sleep as much as you want launch periods, at least for me, that's my exception. I need to be ready to address a technical issue. But during the rest of the time, if I am readily available, I mean, I'm not selling insurance services that, you know, take care of your car or home in the case of a disaster. That's not me. And I would love to know if you disagree with anything that I'm saying. But by making myself readily available 24-7, I feel like the demand, I'm belittling my value. Yeah. Is that wrong? Uh, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I was actually just in a group discussion and a mastermind about this yesterday. And they were talking about being, you know, somebody who sent out an autoresponder with, to their client that said, here's the hours I'm available. Here's how you can reach me in case of an emergency. Here's what constitutes an emergency. And there was a lot of debate. They were like, how dare you automate that? And I'm like, that's incredible. That's about boundary setting. You know, good borders. What is that we're saying? Good fences make great neighbors, right? 
when you know where do I begin and you end, life is clear. And you teach people how to treat you. Anytime somebody, if people are calling you at midnight, it's because you've told them it's okay to call you at midnight. Whether through body actions, at whatever, you, you've trained them that that's okay. You know, I, we have three daughters who are all raised right now, but, you know, always guys were always calling, right? Dad's worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, our youngest daughter was, she had this guy who would call her. She'd be on the phone at 11 o'clock at night. And the rule in our house was phones are off and downstairs in the basket at 9 p.m. And she's like, but dad, he keeps calling. I said, Megan, he only calls because you answer. The moment you stop answering at 11 o'clock at night, he'll stop calling at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> you know, simple, common logic. And whatever you got to talk to him about tomorrow can wait. Right. So it's if you tell people, this is how I work. This is how you get the best from me so that I can be the best for you. They'll understand it and they'll go. And if you anticipate emergencies, give them an outlet to be able to find you and get those. But you can't, you have to set it up so that you're strong. And when, here's another key piece. This is something that's interesting. And, I, and, and I'm sure, you know, there's controversial opinions on this one. I don't set up my availability based on what my client has available. I set up my availability based on when I can do them the best good. Mm. So if I'm at my best before noon in the morning, then I want to set it up so that my one-on-one -on -one time with clients is before noon, even if it means it's 8 p.m. for them. And I've had plenty of clients who will do that. They'll get up and they'll call me at 8 p.m. their time to make sure they can get me at 10 a.m. my time because they know that's when I'm going to provide the greatest value for them. I love that. I mean, I have, um, well, I've started turning my Skype to unavailable during the weekend. And I don't respond to emails, except for, you know, those launch circumstances where I really have to, but I am not available. I am for my family. And I want my clients to be about their family as well. If I'm not helping them get back into their personal life, then I don't feel like I'm doing an adequate job. Right. So Thank you for sharing all of that. I had another point, but then I had a brain fart. So excuse me. <laughs> uh, I also have to say, I love the basket idea with the phones. So thank you. Yeah, it's a must. It drove me crazy. You know, we were really focused on keeping the kids in our house. So we always had a pool. We were always the house where everybody came to that we, we knew what our kids were doing. And this was when my space was in, right? And yep. our daughter comes in, she's in the bedroom with three of her friends. So there's four 13-year-old girls in a bedroom, dead silent. And I was like, what's going on in there? So mm -hmm. I come in, I open the door. Four of them are sitting on the bed texting. There was three laptops and four cell phones working. They were texting and MySpacing all kinds of people. And none of them were talking to each other. And I lost my mind. I was like, no, this is not going to happen. I said, you are here. You will talk to each other. I grabbed the phones. I grabbed, went and grabbed a basket. I said, put the phones in the basket. Put the laptops in the basket, or I'm taking y'all home right now. So you talk to each other. And then the basket became the basket. So for the rest of the time, every time the kids came to our house, they knew they put their phone in the basket. You were here. You were here to hang with us. You were here to hang with our. You were present. And it changed everything. So all the kids knew, go over to the Padillas. You know, hey, you got to put the phone in the basket. And the parents loved it. Because they knew that at least I was going to keep a little bit of boundaries on their kid, even if they weren't. <laughs> yeah. No, that's absolutely amazing. I am adopting that. Last night, it, I sent my son to bed and an hour later, he comes up and he wants to know what the Wi-Fi password is 
for his phone. He doesn't have active phone service because he wasn't living up to his chores. So listeners, if you're a parent and you don't want to get into a, a, a contract on your kid's phone in case they don't live up to their end of the bargain, I just said that this show is not sponsored by it, but I had to give a plug out to uh, Straight Talk because it allows me to turn off his phone anytime that he doesn't live up to his end of the bargain. I was like, Jacob, I sent you to bed an hour ago. Why are you trying to get onto Wi-Fi? Well, I need to set my alarm. (laughs) I was like, you don't need Wi-Fi to set the alarm on your phone. You have an alarm clock. So why don't you just leave your phone up here and set your alarm? Yeah. I was like, Jacob, I know why you need Wi-Fi. And no, you don't need Wi-Fi. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. In our pre-chat, you brought up win-win. Listeners, I asked Jim if I could bring this up because it was it just struck such a chord with me. Could you share that bit of our conversation with the listeners? Because I think it, it was just so big that it deserves to get shared. So the win-win philosophy, I mean, I, I think if we all had a dollar for every time we'd heard it, we'd probably have a million bucks, right? It's everybody, win-win, win-win. And I totally understand the, the, the intention behind it. The problem for me is that win-win implies equality. It's like, okay, I'm going to give this, you're going to give that, and we're both going to come out okay. I don't believe in that because, first of all, no two people are equal. If Kim, if you and I are going to be able to do a win-win, one of us is going to have to compromise, if not both of us, just to find out where can we get to an equal state. I don't want to do that. If I give less of myself, then you're not going to receive what was intended. So I want to give the best of myself. Right. So we have a concept here, a phrase that we've coined a few years ago called win them, meaning we ensure they win. So if I show up to that every single call looking to give as much as possible to make sure like if I can live in a 5149 state all the time, meaning you are always going to come out ahead. Right, what will that do for my life if I can make sure every single person that I come in contact wins? And that's the strategy we take to our clients. That's the strategy we bring with our team. Like we tell our team, we have all kinds of weekly strategy calls with our team. They show up to the calls and it's like, you can't show up and say, well, I don't really need anything this week. So I'm not showing up because I don't care what you need. I want you to show up for them. You're showing up for the benefit of the others around them. Because if think about what that looks like, if I show up totally focused on you winning and you show up totally focused on me winning. It means you don't have to spend any mental energy worrying about covering your own back because we all got you. Right? Wow. And you already brought up the topic of mastermind, just talking about your own mastermind. I see that as being an issue where masterminds fail often because people won't show up if they don't need anything. Right. But they're not thinking about the rest of their mastermind members. And I have to just put a, a, a shout out for you out there. I have felt that in every single conversation that you and I have had from when we initially met to subsequent conversations, I've always felt you're actually more than 51% from you. And what has happened as a result is that I have been sharing your name with other people who I know have connections who could use you and your expertise. But had I felt, you know, anything less then I can't say that I would have been saying, oh, you need to get so-and-so connected to Jim. Right. You know, I, and it's become a default mode for me. 
Um, again, part of the wiring from my upbringing. You know, I have that as a gift that God gave me with this, you know, the first 20 years of my life. But that doesn't mean that everybody else can get it too. You just have to be intentional about it. And you have to have that in the mindset. And and part of that is what allows you to be able to speak truth into people. You know, if I'm going to speak truth into you, you have to know that it's coming from a place that I really care about you. And so it's all about how am I showing up all the time, right? So, you know, it, I, I have a, a gift that I you know, offer to your people. It's a download. It's a business skill set because we do a lot of live events. And so I, I created a video and a worksheet that basically is seven keys for how to master creating a conversation where somebody feels safe in a crowded space. So we do a lot of selling in, you know, where there's hundreds of people in a room and, you know, and it doesn't really make sense because most of the time when you're making a powerful life decision, you're in the comfort of your home with your spouse at the kitchen table or whatever, not in a crowded hotel room where it's totally foreign and unnatural. So you have to learn how to create a bubble of safety around this person so that they feel important, valued, totally seen by you, totally, you know, you're, you're focused all attention on them so that they can get to normal, so that they can now have a great conversation. And that doesn't just apply to sales. That is anything in life. If you're selling an idea, if you're getting your kids to, you know, having a difficult conversation with your teenager, whatever. And so I think this will be really helpful for everybody who's listening. And we sent you the link, but it's, it's at to gain the edge now.com forward slash seven keys and that gain the edge now that's our company it's gain the edge g-a-i-n-t-h-e-e-d-g-e all spelled out and go check that out see how you can apply it to yourself but that was what's going to give you the ability if you start learning those skills and imparting them you'll start seeing your relationships change you know Mm -hmm. my marriage has thrived as a result of both of us being master salespeople operating this way because we don't try to overpower each other, even though we're both very high, you know, high achievers. You know, we are always looking out for the benefit of the other person. And we're both completely willing to speak truth into each other. Oh, I love that. I wish my husband and I were closer to you. And yeah, that's how we are as well. I shocked the heck out of my husband when we first started dating. I would get up and go to the kitchen and I would ask him if, if he wanted anything. Do you want a soda? And he just looked at me totally confused the first few times. <laughs> Wait, you're asking me if I want anything? Well, yeah. And uh, listeners, I have a quick, you know, post call. Just thank you for being here with guests. Is there anything I can help you with? And it amazes me how I often get shocked responses. Wait, but you just had me on your podcast and you're asking me if you want or if I can help you with anything or if if you can help me with anything. Well, yeah. This is about building a relationship. So I love that. Say the um, link one more time and we'll put it in the show yeah. notes. I know why I have it, but I know somebody wants to go and get it right now. Yeah, please. It's a gain the edge now.com forward slash seven, the number seven keys. And uh, it be there for you. Enjoy it. Um, we'd love to hear some feedback from you on it. Anything you know, when you're implementing it guarantee you if even if you just focus on one at a time don't try to master all seven just get them into your field of Mm -hmm. awareness and then pick one at a time and just start practicing it on people go if you're in business and in life where anything success in your life is dependent upon you influencing other people to take action or make decisions 
this is a skill set you need. You need to master it. Start practicing it everywhere. Right? Oh, yeah. One of the ways that I started implementing this stuff is I used to be the person who would pay at the pump. And I started changing that. And I started going inside because then I had to have conversations with people. I had to talk to people. You know, this automated world sometimes prevents us from that. And go out and engage people. Find out what a random stranger wants to do and why they want to do it. And what's the consequence if they don't do it? And what's in their way of getting it? And then who can you introduce them to to help them get it? You know, just start practicing that. And you'd be amazed at what people will come back to you with. I absolutely love that. I mean, just going to pick up my kids from daycare, I've heard conversations. And this is going to make me sound like a horrible eavesdropper. But I've been able to add value. Like, even I've heard parents say, you know, I just lost my job. But by being around people, I've heard of other people who are hiring and have been able to just, you know, get a quick post-it off the desk and say, hey, call this person. And it's another one of those situations where they just looked at look at me shocked of wow i mean you can be somebody else's angel today if you just get out of your comfort zone and start interacting very much so absolutely jim this has been absolutely amazing listeners i want you to know that all of jim's links will be in the show notes including the seven keys at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp372 but again jim Thank you so much. Every single conversation that I have with you is an absolute pleasure and you blow my mind every single time. Uh-huh. Thank you. I'm honored. Do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Yeah. You know, here's the thing that I would say is the most important is nothing is as influential as the truth and as being yourself. Nobody will buy anything from you if they don't buy you. So please just Don't try to master somebody's process or try to be somebody who you think is super influential because then you'll be taking yourself out of being yourself and people are going to buy you before they buy anything else. So just be as naturally yourself as humanly possible and people will love you for it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.